A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Four Fans of a Recommendation Podcast from Fansided Entertainment. Today, we're running through the best, which kind of just means our favorite, movies of 2020. Joining Bryce and I today are Mia Johnson, Dark Side of the Force editor, and Josh Hill, Fanside.com editorial director. Before we get into it, I do need to make one thing clear. So I've been looking at, you know, the best of lists around the internet. There's a little debate has popped up among like film Twitter, and that is who should be able to see the movies on your best of list? And to be clear, we're playing by wide release rules, meaning we're talking about movies that the vast majority of people have or can hypothetically see. If a movie is super, super awesome, but it premiered at a film festival in, you know, the south of Spain, and it's currently only been viewed by critics, and will not be viewable by the public until maybe next summer, it's not on our list. We'll be thrilled to talk about it next year, but right now we're keeping it with, you know, popular movies, or at least widely, mostly available movies. Business out of the way. Mia, let's start with you. What were some of your favorite movies this year? All right. Should I start with my Razzie pick first, just to kind of list that off? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> so my, I think I might be the only person to have a Razzie, uh, or maybe Josh as well, but I have to give that to Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl. It um, was based off of this fantasy book, and it came out on Disney+, and Kenneth Branagh directed it, and it was just a train wreck of a movie. It, it really went nowhere. The plot went too fast and too slow at the same time and it was just one of those movies that were in like production hell for so long that this was the result um so that is my uh so bad that it's good nomination (laughs) um otherwise in my number five spot was the borat sequel which it's been like gosh well over 10 15 or so years since the first one came out and of course, I was way too little to have seen the first one, but I saw it anyway. And so when this one came out, um, Sasha Baron Cohen was an absolute laugh right in this. This one was super duper edgy, though, so edgy um, and makes sense why it was an Amazon Prime release, even if the pandemic hadn't happened. I don't know if people would be, you know, have the the embarrassment proof to go and see it in theaters with other people. <laughs> uh, but 
all the same, it was it was really really funny. He had a lot of great stings, and I also loved the um, actress who played his daughter as well. It was kind of heartfelt. Um, and I remember four was Mulan, um, which it's kind of like I'm picking because it seems like there were so few grand movies that came out um, that I just I feel kind of obligated to put Mulan on there, and I. It's number four because I do wish it was better. Uh, as a fan of the classic animation, I really wanted to see that fun and that vibrancy in this movie, and it kind of lacked that. It still told a very interesting story. I was engaged the whole time. Unfortunately, I had to watch it on Disney Plus and not in theaters, um, you know, which was a bummer. But again, so was 2020. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I have to say that I I was in the middle about it. Um, so now interesting enough for my number three pick, it is the new mutants, which was one of those movies. I, I actually tested out to go to the theater to see, um, I think it would be the second movie I saw in like mid pandemic. And the funny thing about it is that no one was like in the theaters, like at all this summer that it, you didn't even have to pay a hundred bucks to rent out the theater. You could just be there yourself you know, pay your 10 bucks to watch it and you don't have to worry about anyone else being there. <laughs> so it's probably as safe as I felt in a really, really long time. Uh, but just to go over it, this was another one of those production hell movies, you know, delayed, delayed, delayed for so many years. Poor Josh Boone uh, as the director. And eventually we've got it. You know, it's got Maisie Williams as um, one of the leads. Charlie Heaton plays one of the new mutants as well from Stranger Things. And it's just, you know, this ragtag group of mutants coming together and trying to escape, you know, this um, kind of like an interesting asylum for basically mutant kids. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if anyone else, are we, <laughs> are we here to I discuss still, now? <laughs> I still remember first seeing, like, the New Mutants trailer, and, like, it feels like years ago. If you told me it was December 2019, I would believe you because of how this year feels. But like, I actually like know for a fact that it was many more years than that. But like, it's and it was like you said, it was constantly getting like pushed back and in production house. Like, the fact that it came out at all feels like an achievement. Yeah. Like, congratulations yeah. to the Mutants. Um, but yeah, I, I how I want to kind of like, is it? scary or how well what's the horror element because I remember like early yeah. discussion of it potentially being like a horror sort of genre film for comic book movies yeah no they they took that concept and just slam dunked it into the wastebasket <laughs> um yeah for that to be like you know we want to do was it did they put it out as rated r no they they put it out as pg-13 uh so it, it feels like whatever the backbone of what they wanted it to be was not what ended up happening at all as far as horror there were some moments that make you jump a little I wouldn't even say that there were moments that <laughs> you know tried to be a little creepy and a little bit this and that but I don't think it really pushed the boundaries of say you know maybe anything next to like Logan which I believe was rated R and that was a lot more edgy than this one <laughs> I also want to go back and shout out your description of Artemis Fowl, though, because the <laughs> entire time you were talking about it, I was like, this just sounds like 2020 in a movie where it was like, it was both too long and it went by too fast. Like, yes. <laughs> it felt like forever and the pacing was all off and, it's, you know, yeah. it's really bad, but you know, we survived it. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, the award for most 2020 movie of 2020. <laughs> 
yeah yeah that one i didn't want to dwell on it for too long but I, <laughs> yeah that movie um hmm, not yeah again it's one of those like it tried to be a fantasy movie and it tried to do a lot of things and just missed the mark um but yeah so number three was was the new mutants um i think for me it was just more of like finally i have a you know semi-marvel movie no marvel studios movies came out so i think that's why this one just had to be in my number three spot just because it was semi-superhero um now my number two pick was actually what the first movie i saw in theaters yes <laughs> amid, amidst all of this just tenet and again i'm i'm kind of weird to put this on my number two spot as well because I think most all of us here are um, Christopher Nolan fans um, who you know just <laughs> think of Christopher Nolan he's been doing a lot recently <laughs> especially with his you know HBO Max rants and all those things um, yeah we can talk about it later if we want but not no worries but yeah Tina you know um the two leads what's the it's washington what's his full name it's like oh john david washington john david washington okay yeah him and robert pattinson were a really interesting duo in this film and yeah i will admit this was one of those movies where christopher nolan was really like i'm just gonna christopher nolan this the whole way through (laughs) 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 and i think that's kind of the fault of this film where you know it's maybe not as finessed as Inception or some of the other stuff. Um, but I think I appreciated it nonetheless, just because again, I, I maybe was just so desperate for a big cinematic action film, even if it was a little bit overindulging in itself. <laughs> well, we let Robert Pattinson be British. And that's like one of yeah. the highlights of the movie. He was like unapologetically like suave <laughs> British. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm like, I like him even more now. So especially because we got like on the heels of that too. Didn't the Batman trailer come out like right around the same time Tenet got released? Yeah. It was just like, whoa, two polar opposite ends of Robert Pattinson. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, sorry, go ahead, Bryce. Oh, he was also in what I'm blanking on the name of the Netflix movie that he was mm. in, where he was not British. Yeah, the Tom Holland one. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that movie was so bad. <laughs> the Devil All the Time. Devil All the yep. Time. <laughs> oh, the accents in that were so bad. He's like, I think that he said that like he was like, I just came. I didn't work with a vocal coach. I just came like the day that we started shooting. I just like did it. <laughs> like great. That didn't work. <laughs> he was doing one of those like extremely over the top performances and like seemingly having a lot of fun with it, but it was just so out of step with the tone of the rest of the movie. <laughs> like, I think you're my favorite part of this movie, but you're also like a big reason why it's all not working together. <laughs> oh man. Oh, Robert Pattinson. Yeah, good old Rob Pat. I did, I, I enjoyed him in this movie. It made me a fan again. Um, kind of like when he was the Twilight era Robert Pattinson. It's kind of funny. Him and Kristen Stewart, I I liked them for a moment, and then it was like this huge plunge where everyone's like, no, they're cringe. You know, they did these movies and now they're cringe. But now that they've come back, they have really um, kind of redeemed themselves in this really huge way. So for me, it was a Robert Pattinson redeemer, you know, regardless of the fact if you know, the movie, the plot itself was maybe a little convoluted or it, even if you did work it out and it did make sense, it was still kind of like, 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> but again, I, I say all that stuff and then end up being like, but I did like it. I kind of enjoyed just being able to finally have that big adventure, action adventure that like Bond didn't come out. So I needed something <laughs> this year. <laughs> 2020 was the year of like movies that I like this conversation has been a bit like oh my gosh like that came out in 2020 yeah. and then also like oh yeah that was supposed to come out in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly like I, I wish I could put Black Widow on this list and we I don't need, we can't even talk about it as future releases because they I don't even know where that with that movie um which is why I guess we should get to my number one <laughs> pick, yeah. which is quite a charming pick. Um, I picked Enola Holmes because this was the Netflix release with Millie Bobby Brown. And it's basically the movie of like, you know, what if Sherlock Holmes had a little sister and she was just as, you know, smart and almost as feisty as him. And I think the reason I put this as my number one is just because I am such a huge um, Holmes fanatic. I've got like a, a huge, like, the definitive Sherlock Holmes book on my bookshelf and so to kind of see you know like it's not Sherlock Holmes as a woman but if he had a sister so it's kind of fun that we still get to have Sherlock Holmes in this universe but from kind of the young adult perspective and uh, Millie Bobby Brown was really you know great in this role I heard that she had to relearn how to speak in a British accent <laughs> for this <laughs> yeah I guess yeah maybe she's been spending too much time you know being 11 or you know if you're watching TikTok and everyone is American I don't know <laughs> but um I really enjoyed as well Henry Cavill as Sherlock Holmes I almost wish that we could get a spinoff with him but I also don't want to take the spotlight off of Millie no. and um then Sam Claflin, Claflin, um, how you say it, was also one of the brothers Mycroft Holmes, which he was really mean in this, and I hate him, <laughs> but I love, I love the performance all around. Um, and I also read the, I ended up reading the book, it was like for sixth graders, maybe even less, but hey, who cares? <laughs> and I really do like the way that they had changed some of the elements of the plot as well, like there's this whole plot about her saving a um, duke or something, and that in the movie, they really kind of narrow in on that relationship a lot more than the book. And I thought that was an awesome choice. So I am kind of hoping for a sequel as well with, um, I've got the next book as well. I, I need to read at some point. <laughs> yeah. This movie is also on my list um, too. I think Millie Bobby Brown, Bobby Brown was so good in this movie. Like we see her in Stranger Things and she like doesn't really speak because she yeah. doesn't know how the character doesn't know how really um at least in the first season and then like it gets better um later on but like I was like seeing her like break the fourth wall and stuff like you have to be so talented to be able to like virtually carry this whole movie like that and like yeah. it only works if she plays the character a certain way and like they just nailed it and it was like yeah. super charming um and like the plot was actually like there's like a good mystery here like I, yeah. I was worried about that a little bit before so it was like I put it on my list because like I, I really liked it obviously but also because I was like kind of shocked you know yeah. like when you get surprised like by a movie like that and it like makes you feel so much better after watching yeah. it that's kind of how I uh took this movie yeah speaking of the plot really quick that was also something that the movie adapted and made so much more stronger like the stuff about her mom being a um, suffragette um there was something oh like the twist at the end like the book on its own it had nice bones but this was the one time where I think the movie like really really strengthened the original material which again was written for like sixth graders but still that's besides <laughs> the point 
Oh uh, yeah, we didn't even mention you haven't even mentioned Alana Bonham Carter playing her mom, which is yeah, always yeah. a delight seeing Ooh. her anywhere. And you know what? Yeah, that was another role where like the mother was like not really in the book at all. To see Helena, she I I love her as well, and I think I love doing her accent because she has a really distinct <laughs> accent as well. <laughs> I'm, okay, I'm I can see myself. Mia Johnson accent. I know you did it on Take the Black when you guys were talking about Enola Holmes when it came out, and I feel blessed that we got it here. Yes. As well. I have to do it every. Awesome. I watched too much uh, Sweeney Todd, so to hear her singing like the worst <laughs> pies in London, I can only fly then. These are probably the worst pies in London. <laughs> I swear, there's, uh, there's water in this cup. I swear. <laughs> it's been a long year so yeah. <laughs> we are so close <laughs> so yeah those are my top picks all right i like it bryce let's go to you since we've already got a nice lead in there with the shared enola holmes yeah so i had enola holmes fourth um we just talked about that so fifth i had the old guard which um is a netflix action movie uh charlize theron is the lead in that and it's probably the best action movie of the year. I know we were robbed of several, obviously, because 2020. But um, just overall, like, uh, so for those who haven't seen it, she leads this, like, band team of, like, immortals who, like, who have survived throughout history and, like, we're caught up with them modern day. Um, a pharmaceutical company is trying to, like, extract their DNA to, like, solve all the illnesses in the world so um it's a great premise right and then it just there's so much killing in this movie in which <laughs> i know that that's like i don't know some people don't like that but i was all in on uh this team just like slaying people and then they get killed but then they come back it's perfect uh so that's my number five we talked about an old homes um over the moon which is another netflix movie uh, it's probably going to win animated the Oscar for animated feature. It's um, I can't remember who did it. Let me just check. Um, Glenn Keane. And I believe that he worked with, it worked at Disney for a really long time. And then um, comes over to Netflix, makes this movie um, about this girl who loses her mom. Um, it's set in China and um, her like, it's like just this huge fantasy film i'm not quite sure like where we're going or like what happens but there's music the animation is unbelievable but the plot in here is that she's going to help the moon goddess find like like reunite her with her lover which it gets a little wonky here at times but like it's so good i really really like this movie has anyone else seen it <laughs> i have and found it very charming i the hook for me and it's like a classic Disney hack where he's the voice of the dad. So he's like in the beginning and the end, but isn't really in like the book of the mm -hmm. child's adventure. But we've got John Cho who I will watch or listen to like literally anything he's in. Yeah. Um, so that was like how I found it. But then uh, Philippa Sue is also like, she's the, she's the moon goddess. And like, so she yes. sings a bunch too. And it's just like, it's, I remember when the trailer came out, cause like Netflix made like a very minor deal of the voice cast and like the voice cast is like really good. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, no, I, I am a sucker for those. Um, I don't know. It, it was like very much the Netflix take on a Pixar movie and like, it worked for me. I was like, all right, I don't, this I'm not a Pixar purist. If you're close enough to the real thing, I'm there. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's so good though. I, I really think it's going to win the Oscar, which would be a pretty big deal for Netflix. Um, 
So number two, I have the Hulu original movie. I think it's a Hulu original. I watched it on Hulu. Uh, Palm Springs with Andy Samberg, um, J.K. Simmons. I'm blanking on the actress's name who stars in the movie. If anyone has it, you can help me out. But uh, so basically, it's Groundhog Day. It's like not like uh, not an original plot at all. We've seen this movie before. However, it just watching it in 2020 just felt so like they wake up every morning and redo the day before which I feel like that is like how we've all felt like every day of this year has been like oh it's the same stuff every single day and it's also really funny um but yeah that I think that this movie a little underrated I know that at the time it was super popular but like I'm not seeing it on a ton of the best of 2020 lists maybe I'm wrong but I really enjoyed it I, so the actress's name is Kristen Milioti. Um, I believe that's I right. Yes. The last name. I wanted to like Palm Springs so, so bad. Like I love all those actors. I like love, love Andy Samberg, which was a whole, like we, Mia's, we're learning like really great with the stories behind all her picks. My journey, my Andy Samberg journey is like not an interesting story, but like I was like, very not about him on SNL. And now like, I'm just like all aboard the Andy Samberg train. Anyways, like I, and I love all that. I love like time loop Groundhog Day-esque stories. Russian Doll was one of my favorite shows of 2019. I was all ready to be all and then it just kind of left me like in like oh, okay and then I kept seeing everybody else I'm like it's so great and so I'm happy for everyone that loved it but I just I wish it's one of it falls into the category of movies that I wish I liked more than I did. I can see that. I could definitely see that. Yeah, that's interesting because I am also an Andy Samberg fan. I think I loved him a lot um, in SNL and his Lonely Island days. I love all those songs and <laughs> even his movies as well. Uh, what was it like Hot Rod? Uh, Hot Rod is stuff. great. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the pop star Never Stop Stopping. Yeah, yes, star. that's also great. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know why I never put this on yet it was like on my list and then I it as time went on it it kind of faded away uh maybe it was kind of the the maybe sort of premise that it looks like a rom-com a little bit because they've got that kind of chemistry going on I was like I don't really want to see Andy Samberg in a rom-com you know I, I want to <laughs> see him doing some dumb stuff <laughs> so I don't know if that you know happens he does movie. dumb stuff in this movie lots okay. and lots yeah. of dumb stuff <laughs> that it's, is a relief. it's kind of bleak though too like it's I don't know, like like I said, watching it in 2020 just felt a little different, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It does make you and wonder then, how it would have, like, played if it had come out, like, in theaters <laughs> or, like, in a different world, yeah. where I feel like part yeah. of the reason it was successful was because it was so relatable. <laughs> yeah. What's yeah. interesting, too, like, I think that this was, like, the top it, from Sundance. I think it was acquired last year at Sundance or earlier this year, I guess. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it feels like last year. <laughs> uh and then uh i think i think it's the top like like they acquired it for the most money ever is that right does anyone know i don't it yes because as an amc i was reading like a bunch of Andy Samberg interviews <laughs> and he said something that they asked them to like add like 13 cents or something to the price so that they could be the most expensive one where it was like <laughs> Whatever the awesome. offer was, would have been something else. No, can you add like, <laughs> yeah. 15 cents so that we are technically the most expensive one? Um, so I think you're right, yeah. <laughs> Which I think that counts. That's like style points right there. Um, <laughs> and then the last one that I chose, my top movie, and this is more, 
I like this movie. I wanted to talk about it more than anything. So I decided <laughs> to make sure that it was number one so I could get to talk about it. Uh, so Hamilton. I know Hamilton's not new. Um, it came out on Disney Plus in 2020. And I think, I mean, obviously it's great. It was like seeing like a, a, a play or musical like that is like going to change the game, I feel like. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it. Because I think now they figured out how to, I mean, Hamilton's sort of like, it's so successful. It'll be hard for other um, like Broadway shows to like pull this off. But like what Disney did, I think they acquired it for about a hundred million and then put it on and it increased like the like app downloads by like 70% yeah. or something, which is ridiculous uh, in this day and age for a movie to be able to do that. Um, so I think that we're going to, in the next few years, we'll probably see like Wicked um, and a bunch of these other Broadway, like successful Broadway shows get the Hamilton treatment. And I'm definitely here for that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the thing that I want Disney or whoever to remember is that, like, I don't know, other musicals, like you said, like, they're not going to do Hamilton numbers, and, like, that's okay, but, like, the general point that making Broadway more accessible, like, you're still going to get a lot of viewers and a lot of subscriptions if you are a place where people can easily access musical theater and Broadway or Western productions or whatever it is. So it's like, I, I want to tell like, you know, the Disney boardroom or whatever. It's like, <laughs> you know, even Wiccan's not going to do uh, Hamilton numbers, but that's okay. Like if you combined all those, like, or the subscriptions or, you know, a good musical library over time and like months and months and months, like yeah. it's going to work out. It's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes say, me, oh, sorry, go ahead, Mia. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, this is where I'm on the fence, because the one thing is I do want accessible Broadway. Um, and I do wish that, you know, there were more programs like Hamilton, where it's like, you know, take New York City kids and allow them to see it, or CPS kids, allow them to see it at a discounted rate. Um, but I also, I'm just one of those people who are, who is so ready for, you know, this whole thing to be over. So I can go back to the theater and I can go, like seeing Hamilton in the theater mm -hmm. is an unbeatable experience. Um, yeah. And really anything in theater to hear like, you know, real instruments being played, you know, it's like vibrating through you and it's, it's all feel good and you've got the lights and the stage. It's, you know, it's a, it's a stage production for a reason. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like, I'm torn because it's like, I do, I, I want, you know, again, theater to Broadway to build itself back up. I also do want in a way, you know, people to be able to say, hey, I can watch Hamilton over and over and over again. Um, but it kind of reminds me of, I might've had this conversation on Take the Black Live or maybe with someone else where it's like with video games, there's so many people who play video games on YouTube now and you watch it, but maybe that's not going to deter you from ever playing it yourself. That might actually make you want to play it yourself. So I think it could work out in that way uh, too, hopefully. Yeah, I missed Hamilton the first time around. I didn't go see it in the theater, but I really appreciated that I was able to kind of, I mean, arrive to it, what, five, four, five years later late, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. You know, but being able to finally see it, but Mia, to your point, I think this conversation is interesting because it's the same one I think that we're having about movies in general, where it's like, if we have them easily accessible on like HBO Max doing all of the W, you know, the Warner Brothers movies, is that somehow going to kill theaters or is it going to make you want to go experience these movies in the theater? Like I saw Hamilton, I was like, this is really cool. It would have been even cooler if I had seen it in the theater, totally immersed with the set production and everything that was going on. I wanted to be in the theater. So it kind of had that effect. 
in addition to me being like, oh, wow, this good, good for this being a thing. I, I approve yeah. of this four years later. <laughs> but that, that, that's interesting because also Wicked and all these other musicals, I'm not someone who's going to get out to Broadway on a Friday night, you know, easily. But if it's yeah. there, I can stream it. And I think that that's the same argument with a lot of these movies is if it's on a streaming service, if it's easily accessible, you're going to widen that audience and you could potentially grow it down the road so that when more of these you know, musicals come out in the theater, I'm going to sit here and be like, Hamilton was freaking awesome when I saw it on Disney Plus. So this is probably going to be awesome when I'm going to the theater. Yeah. Yeah. And not to take us too down like the business rabbit hole or whatever, but like, I wonder if there's a way that streaming platforms can offset the ticket prices where like if they're making enough they can lower them because like if presented with like $14 movie theater ticket or you know my $10 like monthly subscription or whatever it is I'm already paying for it like there's such a large swath of movies that like I want to see but I don't want to see $14 bad um <laughs> which is why <laughs> yeah. movie pass RIP was so great um but I think like if if they can somehow make it so that they can lower like ticket prices to a normal thing, then like that, then I feel like the audience will find a better balance. We're like, there's still going to be movies that like, you know, given the choice between getting up on the couch and not like, you're still going to stream it, <laughs> but it makes that decision to go to the theater and choose like the better experience easier if the price differential isn't quite so great. And like, obviously that discrepancy is even bigger with theater 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 but like I, I I would hope and I I don't know I didn't I did the bad thing of reading the headline and not the article but I saw something about how like some theaters were going to lower their ticket prices so low that the studios <laughs> like didn't get any money back or something so they were like gonna uh. make it so that people would go to the theater but only charge enough to like, I guess, keep the studio, like the theater operations going <laughs> and then like wow. not give any money back to Warner Brothers. <laughs> like, I mean, whatever. We'll see how that works out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going back to grandma days, right? I, I, I could see two movies for a nickel. <laughs> right? Like, after, like if you guys want to get into an extremely, like whoever has lower prices battle, like that works for me. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's such a bad way to go because I feel like if anyone doesn't have like the leverage here, it's like a movie theater. I'm sorry. Like I love yeah. movie theaters, but like you don't, like I just feel like that's a really bad war to start. <laughs> it might work out initially. I don't think you're going to win. Especially when like you don't know, like Warner Brothers, like this could be like 2021 could just be like a second bad year where it's like, if you make enemies of Warner Brothers in 2021, that could mess you up for a long time. <laughs> and if there's anyone who doesn't hold grudges, it's movie studios, right? <laughs> I think we learned that in Mank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we didn't already know already. Well, on that note, uh, Josh, what do you got for us? I've got my So Bad It's Good was Capone, the Josh mm. Trank movie where... Uh, it's just, it's, it's bad. It's not, it's not good, but it's so, so entertaining. And look, I don't, you just have to see it because it feels, it's the type of movie where it feels like he's trying to work through something because he had the whole uh, Fantastic Four debacle. And then I read a really great profile on him where he's like, you know, just, you know, F Hollywood, F the studio system. I'm going to go up and do my own thing. I'm going to do Capone. I also love 1920s history. I love prohibition history and gangster history. So this really struck Tom Hardy is in it. 
and he's throwing 110 miles per hour in every single frame. This is the culmination of Tom Hardy doing weird accents and everything that he does. He's either wearing a mask or he's doing a really weird accent. And this is the culmination is because he's like growling and he's like all, you know, skitsy and everything. He's all over the place. He's like totally off, totally off the map. But that's, you check it out for that reason on its own. It's a very bad movie. It's objectively terrible, but it's almost so bad that it's good. Um, but that's not in the top five. Number five is The Invisible Man. And this is, I think this was the last movie that I saw in the theater before all of the shutdown happened. Um, and it's, it's a really good movie. Like you think about The Invisible Man, we're making a remake of another horror movie. But, and you take into that too, we're putting a different spin on it. You're like, oh, we've seen this happen with movies before, but it's completely not what you're expecting as far as it's entertaining. It's got one of the genuinely most upsetting and terrifying scenes I've ever seen. Like I, there's very distinct movie moments where you're in the theater and you're like, I remember my exact reaction when this scene happened. I don't know if any of you've seen it. And if you know what scene I'm talking about, I don't know if we're doing spoilers here, are we? <laughs> Uh, sure. Do yeah, it. I think it's better not to. Um. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's yeah. It came out what in February, but when her sister's throat gets slit in the uh, restaurant, you yeah. go. It's an instant. You go from oh sweet, she's gonna see exactly what this is, and then automatically she's oh, dead. <laughs> that was like, and it was also really upsetting. I was like, oh my god, you're like cringing yeah. in your seat, and that's not the reaction you're expecting to get out of a movie like The Invisible Man remake when you're going in to watch it. So. That was the number five movie. And it was also because it was, you know, the last theater experience that I got before everything shut down. Um, oh, also honorable mention, I saw uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire in 2020. I know it had a type cycle in 2019 and it got nominated for the Oscar and everything, but that was also, that's worth mentioning. This year, yeah. last year, next year, like that movie is so <laughs> awesome, it rules. Um, so that's what, what, 5, 5.1 maybe, <laughs> 5B, 5B. Speaking of fives, The Five Blood is my number four <laughs> movie. Um, first Netflix movie on the list. But this is, Spike Lee always has a lot to say, but he's really interesting when he's got something to say. And I think he really had something to say with The Five Bloods. This is kind of like his Irishman, where he's looking back on his career. This is the, he's really going for, you know, I'm one of the best filmmakers of the last 30, 40, 50 years. You need to recognize me. It's his old man war movie. It's got Chadwick Boseman in it and his role hits way different now that he's passed away um, because they're going back to Vietnam to find his remains. Um, but it's got incredible performances in there, but it's, you know, Spike Lee, I would, I'd hate to say Spike Lee had a comeback because he's never really gone away, but The Black Klansman was kind of like a comeback for Spike Lee. This feels like he's letting us know he's still around. He's like, yeah, I can do this. And I'm really damn good at making these movies when I'm really going for it. And I, it was my Oscar pick back in like June, July, whenever it came out. So, and you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's on Netflix. You got to see it. It's, it's Spike Lee. Let's do it. <laughs> just do it. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on my five and my four, but uh, number three is Lover's Rock, which is on Amazon Prime video, uh, Steve McQueen. It's like a anthology of five short-ish movies. They're all over an hour long, so I don't know if that constitutes a short film, but it's Lover's Rock. Uh, the best one, in my opinion, is Lover's Rock, where it's basically just a house party. It's a house party movie. It's set in 1980s West London. It's got 
phenomenal music and it hits really differently in 2020. Um, a lot to Bryce's point about some of the movies he had on his list and Mia too, where it's just nice to go to a party. And that's what this is. Lover's <laughs> Rock is just kind of, you're going to a party, you're a fly on the wall. You're literally in one scene, one of the best scenes, you're weaving through everybody dancing. It's a really beautifully shot movie. Um, and speaking of directors, like kind of like reannouncing themselves, Steve McQueen has turned in some real gems over the years. And I think, didn't he do Widows? Yeah, I was about to say Justice for Widows. Mm -hmm. I loved Widows. And I don't know why it got like nothing. <laughs> but this, yeah. This, this is like, you know, oh yeah, Steve McQueen. And he's flexing five times in five really great short films. But Lover's Rock is, it's got that, it, I think these were all intended to be on a streaming service. I don't think that they were at all, this was gonna be like, we're, maybe we're gonna bring a couple to festivals or something like that, but it was all gonna go on a streaming service. So he's hit the nail on the head twice with, these are all built for quarantine because there's five movies going to streaming. And also it comes out, Right, I think it had its critics debut in September, but it comes out officially in like November. That's when we all want to go back outside. We're all, we've been in quarantine for how many months, the entire year. We haven't been able to see people. We haven't been able to go out and have human interactions or even just like dance with people or go listen to music with somebody or be in an environment where you're not by yourself. You're not isolated. You're just there. And it's got background issues because there's the whole, you know, we're 1980s London, so there's a bunch of racial tension in the background. And if you know, there's you know, riots that happened in the 1980s, racial riots in the 1980s that happened in London. So there's that kind of tension in the background. And it's also, you're waiting for something to happen, some kind of intense dramatic thing to happen in this movie, which also kind of adds this weird tension to an otherwise really happy and joyous and kind of just exuberant experience of being at this party, which was also very 2020, where this gentle hum of anxiety in the background of everything that seems like it could be happy. But Lover's Rock was a big surprise for me because I wasn't, I, it totally caught me by surprise. I wasn't expecting it. I had heard about it, kind of forgot about it, and then checked it out on the streaming. I was like, oh, this is really good. And it's one of those movies that it feels like an experience. It's not a movie where you're like oh this is like star wars this is like you know whatever I'm, I'm i'm clearly watching some sort of narrative it feels like an experience it's almost a mood movie and i think that that's something that hits really differently in 2020 aside from being just phenomenal in any other year it would have come out i don't know if any of you guys have checked that out yet i haven't had the chance to yet just sort of a point of clarity for listeners uh you may be hearing about the steam mcqueen project by its like collective name which is small axe um, so, like Josh said, it's five films, Lover's Rock, which he mentioned, Mangrove, which has Black Panther, Letitia Wright in it, and Red, White, and Blue, which has, um, oh my gosh, John, Boyega. Boyega. John Boyega, thank you. Uh, and those were the two that I think got like a little bit more um, buzz going into the release of Small Axe, uh, but Lover's Rock, you've heard it from Josh, I've heard it elsewhere as well, is really kind of the, the one that's taking people by surprise as like a real, real standout gem. That's awesome. This flew under my radar. I feel like I might have seen a couple promotions for it, but um, yeah, I probably would have passed it over if you didn't say anything about it. <laughs> I'd heard of the first two that Shay mentioned, but I hadn't heard of this one, so I guess I have to watch them all now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all really good, too. Red, White, and Blue is, is, is very good. Mangrove is, I would say it's a 1B to Lover's Rock. It's really, you can swap one of those out. I know I've like split two different, <laughs> two, two different of my spots. Josh's top but... five is actually a top ten. <laughs> <laughs> 2020. Look, rules don't exist anymore. Like, 
time, numbers, uh, all of it. It's just <laughs> totally out of uh, uh, My number two is Sound of Metal, which is, it's mostly a Riz Ahmed uh, performance piece. And I love Riz Ahmed so much. Uh, and I think that we're kind of still right at the cusp of his quote unquote moment that he's gonna have. He hasn't really burst through as like an A-list superstar. Like we had the night of the HBO miniseries, uh, which was huge. He was a night crawler, which is the first time I ever saw him with Jake Gyllenhaal, who if we're talking about Tom Hardy throwing 110 miles per hour being weird, <laughs> like Jake Gyllenhaal, a <laughs> night crawler. Wow. Oh man. Oof. Oh, um, but yeah. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Sound of Metal is, it's a very simple movie. It's about a punk rock drummer who starts to lose his hearing, which is very, very simple. It's like, oh, I, I kind of know what this movie is. But you go for the Riz Ahmed performance because he sells it entirely. I mean, this is his movie. He commands it. He owns the screen when he's on there. And it really makes it, he's the emotional anchor of what is an otherwise simplistic plot like punk rock drummer loses hearing okay why do i care riz ahmed is why you care like he everything that he does and the struggles that he's going through you can feel it you can feel everything that he is suffering through as he's losing this one thing that is precious to him his the gift of hearing he this is what he does he loves music he's a drummer he is this is his life and it's being taken away from him for no reason at all and it's a very interesting concept and it's again Riz Ahmed just entirely commands this film. And this is, I get a lot of like Heath Ledger vibes from Riz Ahmed because he pops up here and there in different projects. He was in Rogue One, uh, something else that he's in that I'm totally spacing on, but oh, Venom, he's in Venom. It's again, Tom Hardy, <laughs> just controlling my list here. Um, but he pops up in these little things and he's always really good no matter what it is that he is in. He hasn't had that one role where everybody just kind of takes a step back and kind of anoints him as having a moment or being like this star that he so clearly is. And I think that this is very much the movie right before we all kind of recognize that Riz Ahmed is somebody that we need to take tremendously seriously. And the sound of, I mean, it's, it, it's amazing. This is the movie that if it had come out in theaters, last year Uncut Gems was this for me, where I saw it and I was like, everybody I know needs to see this movie like i went home and i took my dad to see uncut gems because i'm like dad we need to see this this is amazing and sound of metal is the same way and you know we're benefited by it being it's an amazon prime video movie as well we're benefited by being able to have that immediacy of being able to watch it and then rewatch it uh, which i think is uh, me to your point about hamilton something that makes a lot of these movies on our lists kind of stand out even more because you there's a difference between going to see movies like The Sound of Metal or Hamilton in the theater, whichever one it is, and being able to watch it and then immediately watch it again. And I think that that's something that benefits a lot of these movies and it benefits Sound of Metal and uh, my number one movie as well. But I don't know if you guys have checked it out, uh, Sound of Metal yet. Your two and three spots were like my, like that's even before this conversation, like they were on my like to watch list for this weekend where I was like, oh, I, I, I was trying to like figure out like what I could get, like what can I move around so I can watch these before uh, we record. But I, I'm very excited about it. I love Riz Ahmed. Um, I wrote a article for Cultures when I started at Fansite about him being an internet boyfriend. Um, so that was, uh, <laughs> that. that's where my sort of Riz Ahmed story begins. Um, but I think what's really interesting about it, 
and sort of speaks to him controlling and sort of being everything about um, this this movie is that I've also been reading a lot about the sound design on it where they really mm -hmm. sort of go sort of above and beyond to recreate like the feeling and the silence of hearing loss. So you're very much like put in his perspective. And so sort of his ability to sort of convey like the emotional experience of that while you're also going through it, I feel like you said is really, really crucial to making it work. Yeah, and I think that that's one area where not having this movie in the theater is a bit of a bummer because having this, all that sound design on the just top tier, you know, theater quality sound system and then having it go out and having it do what it does, that I think would have been an even more, it would have added an extra layer to what's an already amazing movie. Just having that extra experience, I think if we're talking about the loss of not being able to see some of these in, in, in the theater, that I think is, is an element that would have been very cool. Um, and it's, it comes across nice on the television, but I mean, unless, I guess the sound bar, whatever you got going on, but <laughs> having it in the theater and then also being immersed in this kind of anxiety of what's happening to him, I think would have been an extra added layer to, to this movie. Well, I'm very excited to watch it. Hit us with your number one, what do you got? Number one is Mank. I am a Fincher head, so this was not <laughs> this was not hard for me to pick Mink. It would have taken a lot of disappointment for this to, to slip down the list, and David Fincher didn't disappoint. Um, I know we talked about this on a, a previous podcast, so check that out for even more thoughts on Mink. Uh, Bryce, so perfectly put it, it was it's like listening to a symphony. Uh, that's that's good. That's very accurate. But the more I think about it. And this is one where it's very ben it's benefited a lot from repeat viewing and immediate repeat viewing because it takes a couple watches for it to make sense, uh, or at least to see what David Fincher is doing. And I come away with a bit of a different perspective each time, or at least a different idea of what he's trying to do. And I've arrived at the conclusion that he's just kind of doing that thing that he's always done his entire career, where he's just kind of a brat and he's trying to like kick the hornet's nest because this movie is designed to anger film Twitter. Because it's going after Citizen Kane, it's going after Orson Welles, and surprisingly, uh, in the discourse from this movie has been a lot of people caping for Orson Welles in 2020, and I was like, hey, okay, this is not the twist, the plot twist of 2020 I was expecting. Uh, but it's also, it's a very personal movie, because it's written by David Fincher's father, which I would be fascinated if David Fincher's first Oscar is for his father, <laughs> he wins uh, Best Screenplay. Uh, because this movie's getting a lot of Oscar nominations. So prepare for Mank Discourse Part 2 whenever that ends up happening. But it's personal because it's it's all about David Fincher romanticizing the power and the magic of movies while also being extremely cynical and almost dismissive of it. Where he's like, there's a line in the movie where Louis B. Mayer says along the lines of movies are the only thing where the person who buys it doesn't own it. All they have is a memory. The person who made the movie still owns the movie. And that's both a very beautiful statement because you're saying, oh yeah, movies are memories. They're these amazing things. And it's also extremely dark and cynical because it's like, look, this movie that you just watched, it used you. It took money from you. It's using you once again to, you know, you're going to return to it this memory it's trapped you and it's a fascinating thing for somebody who appears to love movies so much like Fincher is you know one of the greatest directors of his generation he's very good at what he does but it also feels like he 
doesn't really like the system that he's in. And this is him. This starts with Alien 3, and it's clearly stuck with him since, what, like 1992 when that movie came out, and he's just like the studio system is, you know, the worst thing ever. And now he's making a movie where he's basically saying movies are magic, but the people that make movies are demons, and they are awful, and they will use you, and they will discard you at the first sign of something else. Up to and including, like, there's an entire scene where Mank is basically being nothing but a witty court jester. And he's the smartest guy in every single room that he walks into. He's witty, he's brilliant, he's snappy, he's always got the best thing to say, but he's ultimately reduced to nothing more than a pawn in uh, William Randolph Hearst's game, where he's like, he essentially compares him to like a dancing monkey, like with the, on the side of the street with the, uh, the symbols. He's like, you are here for my entertainment. I pay to have you do the things that you do. And that's such a deeply cynical view of something that is magical, like movies, and somebody who's so talented at making them, like David Fincher is. So that's that's my number one movie for that reason. And also, I just love how much it, it pissed off everybody who's apparently got a lot of Orson Welles stock that they don't want to expire because David Fincher <laughs> made a movie, about, which, actually, which isn't even like negative towards Orson Welles. Orson Welles is actually pretty cool in the movie. The guy who plays Orson Welles actually sounds like him. Mean, you don't come away from it being like, yeah, wow, he stole credit for Citizen Kane. That's like maybe 15 seconds of the movie. So the, the film, the, ruffling the feathers of film Twitter. That's, that's uh, fun. That's we awesome. love when that happens because yeah. it's they're usually of the various like Twitter subgenres. They're like easily ruffled up and usually for extremely dumb things where it's like why they have the dumbest arguments of of all the Twitters. I feel like I'm I'm tangential to or at least like observe. They always seem to be the silliest. Where it's like, what are you fighting about today? Like, oh, okay, sure. Let me just watch this and see. Um, but I will say, I know Bryce has seen it, so I want him to jump in, but I, that was like a really, really good sell, but also I'm not sure if I can end 2020 with that level of like existential despair. <laughs> I don't, I'm going to need to watch like Jingle Jangle or something. I don't think yeah. I can do that. <laughs> it is incredible though, that in basically flipping off our romanticization of old Hollywood, David Fincher is in doing so layering himself onto one of the greatest films ever made and one of the greatest filmmakers in the history of movies where now when you talk about Orson Welles and you talk about Citizen Kane you're going to talk about the movie that David Fincher made about it and how he was so mean to the legacy of Citizen Kane so I think that's, that's also a fascinating wrinkle here where David Fincher is like yeah these movies suck the studio system sucks I can't believe you guys have romanticized this movie but also I have now made myself part of this legacy I'm like you you know what you're doing, man. <laughs> That's really, I hadn't thought about that, but that actually makes a lot of sense. And just watching it, I don't know, there's like, I know that that's what's behind it, but while I was watching it, I was just like, I would get lost in like, just how like snappy the dialogue is. And like mm -hmm. each scene just feels so like, I don't, it's just like a masterclass in like directing a movie like this. It like feels very, um, like of the time period which is really hard to do i think and especially on netflix like you have to really like make me like step back away like you know seeing this movie on netflix like i literally like it took me a little bit longer to find to find it than i wanted to but still it's one click away and it feels like um like i'm transported back to like a different time and that was really cool for me too
awesome. I have to put that on my list as well. I ended up seeing the um, the original movie. It was like in an American history class, and I really, really loved the professor. So he just he usually like mid every at some point in the semester he would show us a movie to kind of you know encapsulate the lesson that we learned, which you know might have been I guess we did a little bit of like the rise of Hollywood and stuff like that. So that I I kind of oddly enough like the film and it did make me fall in love with that era as well I almost seems like an elevated um version of the artist because that was I, I really like that one as well you know kind of taking old Hollywood and the glamour of it and then being like sometimes it sucks sometimes it's like a star <laughs> is born and you're not cool anymore <laughs> um so yeah I've been holding off on watching that so I might have to put that on my you know winter vacation list I would say it's a spiritual cousin to the social network because both of those movies are about powerful people who don't necessarily know how powerful the positions that they are in or they do know how powerful it is and they're willing to manipulate people to continue to have that power because there's a whole plot in mank about political ads upton sinclair is trying to run for i think it's governor of uh california or something like that and there's a whole plot in there about how mank essentially it's like an origin story for political ads and manipulating and there also as fincher saying movies are so magical they transport us but they can also control us and they can take us to places that we didn't know we could go or places we didn't know we were going because we've been led by the magic of movies the scope of everything so that's uh it's yeah there's a lot to it. Multiple. That's, that's why it's a multiple viewings type of type of movie. I feel like uh, my big one of my big takeaways from this conversation generally has been that like there are there were more and there were more good movies that came out in 2020 than I realized. We're like, <laughs> I began this activity being like, did a movie even come out this year? Like it didn't feel like that. And the more I thought about it, there was like the whole the, there was the movies that came out like in the 2020 that was really just a part of 2019 and then there were the movies that sort of really did come out either because they like pivoted to streaming or they were part of that window where we were like testing the grounds with going back to theaters um so i feel like reaffirmed that like this year wasn't a total loss for for movies and entertainment but it's also not over yet like we won't have the standard like christmas day release bonanza um, but we do have a couple more movies coming out this year that we haven't had the opportunity to see yet. What are you all most excited about looking at the last you know, two weeks of the year? Um, my top two picks were Wonder Woman 1984 and Soul. Of course, those were part of the, you know, pushback, pushback, pushback movies. So um, yeah, superhero and Pixar. I'm like, I'm ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really and then, uh Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, I'm really excited for Promising Young Woman, which was a mm. Sundance pick that got like a lot of buzz coming out of Sundance uh, with Carrie Mulligan. Um, and I know she, I'm not gonna describe it well, but like the cast of supporting actors, she plays a woman and like from what you can tell from the um, trailer, she's been like wronged in some way and she's like kind of on like a seductive revenge tour, but like then like it subverts that premise and all that. But they cast, like, I think Adam Brody's in, they cast a bunch of actors who are recognizable as playing, like, the, like, nice guy rom-com lead types, except in this, they're, like, terrible people. Um, and yeah, it was supposed to come out in the spring and got pushed and pushed and pushed, and, and now I think it's coming out uh, at the end of December. So I'm very excited about that one. That's, that's definitely near the top of my list. 
Yeah, that's one where I remember seeing a trailer for it back in, I think I saw a trailer for it before Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And I was like, oh, this looks like it's gonna be really good. And then I'm not gonna lie, I went, I saw Mank in a independent theater. I had to support my independent theaters. And also I have David Fincher season tickets. But I saw a trailer for that before that movie. And I was like, oh, that's right. This hasn't come out yet. And I remembered seeing the trailer. I was like, oh my God. So that's kind of like shit, your point at the beginning of the show, being caught in this like time loop of like, wait a second. Did that come out? Hasn't that come out? Oh my God. But yeah, that's, I'm really looking forward to that one. I was going to say, I feel like that one of the things that like actually helped 2020 for movies was like how good of a year like Netflix had for movies. Um, like in a normal year, if everything gets released, I still think we'd probably be like, oh, like what they did actually stands up. Now it feels like they're kind of like 25% of the total like market of movies this year was like Netflix original. So it feels like weird talking about it. But um, uh, Chadwick Boseman's final film comes to Netflix on December 18th. That's uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with Viola Davis. I can't remember. I think it's based on a play. Yeah, um, I, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's uh, that should be Oscar contender worthy. Um, so yeah, check that out for sure. I think to your point, and to throw another Oscar contender out there, um, it was kind of like this duality of like Net Netflix making its usual balance of like peak Netflix movies, which you have like the sneaky, you mentioned the old guard before. That was my big like, I almost watched it on a whim and then was like taken aback by how much I enjoyed it. Um, so like th those kind of Netflix movies, they like turn out a bunch of like other action ones too. And then on the other side, you had Amazon Prime, which in like a boring business way, they are really big in the like, festival acquisition game, but they don't mm -hmm. drop them immediately. There's usually like a significant delay between when they'll do like a small theatrical release and then they'll put it on Amazon Prime. This year, almost all of them, like Sound of Metal that Josh mentioned, like went very quickly. They might've had like a week or two where they tried to get some like drive-in tickets out of it, <laughs> but you got, I, there was kind of this like silver lining of you getting access to both independent films and sort of the Netflix movies and the Netflix award contending films like all earlier and sooner rather than later like I feel like when we were having these conversations last year a lot of the movies that I can tell you now like oh they're on Amazon it'd be like oh like Amazon acquired it but you can't watch it on Amazon for uh, three months or whatever it was anyways all of that's to say Josh I know you're excited about this one as well when I in Miami is mm -hmm. also coming to Amazon before the end of the year um, it's about uh, one night in Miami when Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke all got together and hung out. The cast is really, really good. Um, it's got my favorite English rom-com lead. Like, he's, he's been two roles, but in my head, it's, like, very close to having cemented him as this particular character. Uh, but his name's Kingsley Benadir. He's in it. Aldous Hodge is in it. Leslie Adam Jr. is in it. But what really gets me excited is Regina King directed it. And she's been on like a goddamn roll recently. And mm -hmm. I just want, I don't know if there's an EGOT for when you win the same award, but in multiple categories, if there's not, there should be. Um, but I think, I think she's going to pick up a slew of things. So I'm, I'm very excited for that one too. I'm big hype for this one. This is like, I like these like all in one day movies or it's an interesting way to structure your film, but also you're just throwing literally like these iconic you know, people in history into this one room. And it's something that I didn't know. This is another thing that is fascinating about these movies is they're kind of uncovering these pockets of history that are 
deeply fascinating, but you're like, oh, I didn't know that that happened. Like at one point in history on this earth, we had Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, Sam Cooke, Jim Brown, all in the same room together. Uh, and I think it's also gonna be a very timely film, you know, talking about the civil rights and how important they were to all of those movements, making sure that that stays present in the conversation. And also beginning my year with Aldous Hodge in uh, Invisible Man, where he was fantastic and phenomenal. And then ending it here, where he's playing Jim Brown in One Night in Miami. It's just, he's making a run. If Tom Hardy dominated my list of top five for some reason, Aldous <laughs> Hodge is there too. For, he's bookending my year of uh, fantastic movies, or at least movies I'm looking forward to. In the interest of getting like a little bit shady, uh, I did see a fun tweet the other day that was like, well, imagine how much better Tenet would have been with Aldous Hodge in the lead. So, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I follow a lot of people who are not on board the John David Washington can act train. Um, I don't know if I have a cultivated opinion on that yet, but. <laughs> Has the John David Washington Zendaya movie come out yet? Mm, they shot in that's, It's February, I believe. Uh, what is that called? Uh, yeah, I think it's next year. You all had the same oh, reaction yeah. in your face. Yeah, really. I was like, are we not supposed to talk about this movie? Is there something no, wrong with this movie? Definitely <laughs> talk I just completely <laughs> forgot it existed. Yeah, we know what you're talking about, but I don't remember any additional details about it. I remember when they first were like doing that, like came out that they did that. And I was like, oh my God, is that like, are they okay? Is it safe? Is it fine? Are they, did it, did it work out? Like... I guess so. is the name of the gossip side I'm looking at. I'm like, what is the name of this movie? I okay. think what was well, weird for me, it was when they were promoting it. I thought they were in a relationship. And I was like, hmm. oh, what is going on here? <laughs> oh, it's called Malcolm is... and Marie. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. February 5th, 2021. There you go. It takes a lot of Google. All right, well, we'll add that to the, like, you yeah. know, most, most anticipated of the next year. <laughs> All right, well, we are just about out of time today. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Mia, for joining us. Um, we will have an episode next week. We're going to jump from best movies of the year to best TV of the year. So uh, tune in in one week's time as we wrap up 2020, finally, with more entertainment than we thought was originally there. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.